Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, I'm not recording this live this week, unfortunately. Um, As we all know, because of coronavirus, we are all on lockdown and so I am at my home recording this. But nevertheless, the show must go on. So, This week's topic is masculinities and I was lucky enough to go to the Barbican exhibition Masculinities Liberation Through Photography before the lockdown and speak to some of the world-renowned photographers exhibiting in the show. Now obviously the show is temporarily closed but I have here the interviews that I made with curator Alona Pardo and photographer Sam Contis and I made these during my visit so for those of you who may not be able to go and for those of you who are thinking of going when it opens, reopens, um, then I just wanted you to have a little taste of what you can expect. So there's some really, really um, lovely interviews that are very kind of intelligent explanations of what the kind of show's about and what to expect. So that is very exciting. But first, I thought it'd be interesting to look at two paintings by 18th century painter, Jack Louis David, which you may have heard from of uh, and he presents the masculinity and male relationships in a more traditional way and I thought this might provide a really interesting contrast uh, that kind of in light of the more progressive exhibition hosted by the Barbican so that is what's coming up on today's episode of Art Then and Now. So I want to preface my explanation by saying that I personally believe that masculinity is a social construct and that I do not necessarily think that masculinity pertains to being a man and that I in fact think gender is something completely different entirely but I am describing the following paintings in the contexts of which they were made in the hopes that we will see some real differences with the way that we understand expressions of masculinity now. So the first painting I'm having a look at is The Oath of Harati from 1784 by Jack Louis David. It is an oil painting on canvas and currently hangs in the Louvre in Paris, France. Now, the huge neoclassical image is a story from Roman history that shows a group of three young soldiers of the Harati family pledging to their father to fight for their territory against the Curati family from Alba. They are agreeing to fight to the death which is, you know, very disturbing and upsetting for the group of three women and two children on the right-hand side who appear to be crumpled in despair at the sight of what is happening. And indeed, one of the women is a curati and is married to one of the Horati brothers. Stay with me, stay with me. I know the names are very similar. And there is another of Horati women who is betrothed to another curati. It doesn't really help the names are so similar, does it? But okay, yeah, we can deal. The They know that they will lose either brothers or spouses in this battle to the death and therefore their loyalties are very sharply divided in this image. I'm going to go through a depictions of how the men are presented, how masculinity is presented in this image. And the men are depicted in kind of what is considered to be a very idealised form for 18th century Caucasian males. Their bodies are tanned as if they have been working or fighting, which is a big contrast to the milky white complexions of many Caucasian women represented at this time. And indeed in this image, which we're going to come to a little bit later, but 
There are often many mythologies painted in the neoclassical style during this time in the 18th century of, say, Venus and Mars, for example. And they're often depicted in this way with really varying skin tones, with men tending to have a slightly darker skin tone and the women tending to have a more pale, more milky complexion. The features of the men in the Oath of Harati are also very large and bold compared to those of the women in this piece. They often have prominent facial hair too. This is considered a sign of masculinity as well. And in fact, in many artworks from antiquity and the neoclassical representations, one of which I'm talking about now, the manliness, quote unquote, of men often is depicted through facial hair as well. The men in this image stand tall with all the muscles are taut and pronounced in this image to symbolise their male strength. So the three men are holding their swords up to their father, as I said in the beginning, to pledge allegiance to him and to fight for their territory. The men take centre stage in this image and take up decidedly more space than their female counterparts as well. The women are sort of shuffled off to the right-hand side. The men are very prominent in the centre of the painting. But of course, space being synonymous with importance, particularly in this time, it's all about what images or concepts are worthy of portrayal on canvas to be eternalised. And clearly this sort of scene of, you know, pledging themselves, the men are pledging themselves to fight for their territory is, you know, considered a really important concept and, and these sort of masculine ideologies as well. There's also the, you know, the prominence of themes of strength and war and male responsibility is very, very clear here. There is also sort of these undertones of like a brotherhood and sort of fighting to the death, a concept which is, you know, of undeniable male strength in numbers, the sort of pack mentality, kind of like a modern fraternity may be seen, I suppose. Uh, But the men also appear, this is really interesting, very emotionless particularly compared to the weeping and huddled women off to the right-hand side. Their perceived emotional strength of the men is sort of highly contrasted with the emotional frailty of the women on the right-hand side. The, The women are crying, they're very emotive. The men don't seem to be showing a whole lot of emotion. Again, you know, this idea of traditional masculinity is, is potentially something where men are not able to show emotion, shouldn't show emotion, um, you know, those kind of tropes that we're very much still challenging today. Um, and the physicality of the men here is also really heavily juxtaposed to the female physicality too. The men stand strong and rigid and the women are huddled and crumpled in this image. It seems almost as if the female weakness has been painted here only to further highlight the comparative strength of the men in this image too. And of course, I keep talking about strength and masculinity as sort of the same concept, which in some ways they are during this time particularly. So the painting as a whole also prioritises these more masculine motifs too. The composition is very bold, it's very simple in its geometry. It has none of the curves that we might expect from a traditional representation of femininity during this time present in Rococo or neoclassical style art from the same period I mentioned earlier. There are a lot of paintings of Venus from this time too, this sort of neoclassical hark back to antiquity. And Venus is one of the most idealized female tropes 
um, and she is considered to represent the highest order of femininity as well. So she is often presented with these undulating curves and forms and shells and water too, which, you know, none of this is present here. It's a very bold, it's very stark, it's a very severe setting for this kind of an image. So also the, as I said, the composition is very bold in its style and the colours themselves are very bold. They are stronger and deeper in these works than perhaps a more pastel piece might be, again, maybe more reflective of a feminine sort of representation. And, you know, the naturally bolder, darker colours do seem to represent the opposite of this. There is there is a strength to even the colour palette here as well as just the nature of what we're talking about here. Now, the next image is the Lictus bringing to Brutus the bodies of his sons. That is from 1789 by the same artist, Jacques-Louis David. Now, this one is a depiction of an even darker subject matter. Essentially, the Roman leader and founder of the Roman Republic, Brutus, has ordered the death of his two sons who have conspired to overthrow the Republic in the name of the monarchy. Now, as a result, Brutus lost both of his sons, but did become a hero of the Republic. And the painting is an overall callback to that classical depiction of civic responsibility and national devotion and sacrifice. It was painted during the political unrest of the French Revolution beginning in 1789. So it is a little bit of a controversial image um, from Jacques-Louis David, but I mean, that is not unusual for him. And this painting, although it has a slightly different tone to it and a slightly different compositional style, there are also many similarities, particularly when we're highlighting themes of a more traditional masculinity as well. For example, in this image of uh, the lictors bringing to Brutus the, sp- the bodies of his sons, the space is similarly divided into masculine and feminine, uh, even more obviously in this image, because you've got a classical column right through the centre of the piece with Brutus himself and his sons and the lictors on the left hand side and the grieving mothers, sisters and wives on the right hand side. And once again, Brutus has a stronger and more composed disposition than the women do on the right. He turns his back to the possession in an act of sort of perceived resilience and strength. Whilst the women reach out there to their loved ones, they leave weeping and crumpled on the floor. Again, much like the previous image that I spoke about, there's a very clear distinction between masculine strength and feminine weakness in this image. Interestingly, though, Brutus does clench his toes And they are the only signifier that perhaps he is struggling with the decision to send his sons to their death. It's a very subtle yet important component belying the true and seemingly unwelcome emotional response of Brutus in this image. There is a kind of clear theme in this piece too with the outward display of emotions exhibited by the women. Compared with the very, very silent approach of Brutus, it seems, as I said, emotions are synonymous with the feminine sphere and the apparent sturdy silence is of the masculine sphere. Now, the women and the deceased sons are also bathed in light, which is interesting. Perhaps I thought maybe presenting them with a sense of the spiritual or the ethereal or even the innocent, whereas Brutus seems to appear in shadow, which for me was very resonant of the gravitas of his decision. Or perhaps, you know, creating this visual disparity between the helpless and the vulnerable in this scenario, the sons and the women in the piece, and even the strength of man, his authority on the other side of the spectrum. You know, the way that light 
can imply innocence and um, and gravity of a situation. And again, the sort of religious aspect of what being bathed in light can mean as well at the time. Both images offer a take on the classical narrative that has human sacrifice and suffering at its core, yet the visible response of the men and women and the masculine and the feminine spaces they inhabit could not be more heavily opposed in these images. They offer a really interesting take on the importance of strength and the expectation of the masculine sensibilities during, you know, difficult and emotionally charged times. These pieces were very politically controversial during their unveiling in the 18th century, but in many ways probably offer quite an accurate representation of what qualities were deemed aspirational for men during this time. So as we are all in isolation, I thought this might offer a refreshing contrast uh, to your day-to-day at the moment. So you're going to hear lots and lots of voices, uh, lots of people talking in one place, uh, which is something that many of us haven't heard in a good few weeks now. But These are my interviews from the Barbican's exhibition, Masculinity's Liberation Through Photography. So let's kick it off with Alona Pardo, who is the curator of the Barbican's exhibition, and she explains why this exhibition is necessary and why it's so important in 2020. I am here with Alona Pardo, who is curator of the Barbican's exhibition, Masculinity's Liberation Through Photography. So can you do a, a brief kind of explanation of the ideas behind this exhibition for the listeners. Wow, we started with a brief question. Yeah, I know. Brief and I question. said brief as well, which you don't follow that. Um, <laughs> the exhibition, where to start? I mean, in terms of its development, where it comes from, is, you know, that, you know, we're looking at it, we're living at a moment of identity politics, the politics of representation, a kind of a revisiting of second wave feminism in the 60s and 70s, but also set against the backdrop of the Me Too movement, you know, the rise of a kind of masculinist nationalism that I'm calling if we think about people like Putin and Trump and kind of, you know, fashioning their image according to very retro ideas of kind of machismo. And yet on the and that's on the kind of macro level on the micro level we live in a world that's never been more kind of fluid in terms of how we self-define um, in terms of gender in terms of identities in terms of marginalization um, and it struck me that that these you know that when we, we when we think about marginalized identities and in this case marginalized masculinities but not only because women are part of that kind of discourse it's always measured against something and what that thing is measured against is hegemonic masculinity so the traditional dominant kind of white cis male mm-hmm. and we need to take that we need to and, and it's just not often put on the spotlight and it's not put on the spotlight because it's seen as being kind of static it's come down from time immemorial it's kind of part and parcel of the kind of world order mm. and hence the title of the section kind of women mischievously titled male order <laughs> yeah this I enjoyed I, that <laughs> this idea that you know this is the kind of status quo but of course that status quo has been scaffolded and reinforced Mm. through various kind of patriarchal structures and so this is an opportunity to both kind of throw the spotlight onto kind of the representation of masculinities we are all many identities we talk about intersectionality as a buzzword but we all have multiple identities Mm. I am a woman I'm a mother I'm a wife I'm a working woman I'm many things and masculinity is the same but it's seen as being very singular Mm. very kind of idealized Mm. Um, and so this was an opportunity to kind of you know Price that open, open it up, destabilize it, disturb it, disrupt it, um, and and so that's the kind of the idea behind the show in terms of how it's played out in the gallery. You know, we 
you know, the narrative we chose to take was to kind of, you know, think about the show thematically. But, and historically as well, so we wanted to bring artists together who kind of, you know, move across different times and spaces. We didn't want it to be only kind of Western-centric, so it's important there are lots of different voices in the show. I, yeah, I love how you're answering my questions from last time. It's fantastic, absolutely. I also should have started off by saying congratulations as well because it's absolutely fantastic exhibition. You know, I've been to many of the Barbican shows, and this really does have um, a, a little something extra to it. And, oh, I, and I think that's, that's, I think that's fantastic. And um, what about the title? Because liberation through photography, I think that's important. What can we say about liberation, especially in our 2020 uh, lens? Yeah. So of course, it's called masculinities. I was very clear from the get-go that I wanted it to reflect the plurality that we've just been talking about. This multiplicity of identities. That it was diverse and it's inclusive of all different types of masculinity. We have the less abled body, we have men, the queer figure, we've got many different representations of masculinity. We wanted that to be as diverse as possible. Liberation through photography is both a serious um, discussion, it's about, it's about the agency of photography, um, and it's about this idea, you know, we have the women's lib movement, what about the men's liberation movement? And, you know, that was a burgeoning thing in the 60s and never really took off. Yeah. So this idea about liberating men from the kind of constraints of representation of these construct. role models. And so, you know, this idea of liberation, I mean, it's quite tongue-in-cheek as well because, you know, in a way, do men need liberating? <laughs> you know, really, women need liberating other yeah. identities. But, but actually, the serious idea yeah. is that it, they do need liberating. Mm. They need to be liberated from these very narrow definitions Absolutely of what it agree. means. Absolutely agree. I think as well as, um, you know, uh, male suicide is on an all rise um, at the moment. And I think it, it, it does tie into the idea of, of you know, trying to conform to uh, a system and a structure that doesn't fit who you are as a human being. So I think that's really, really interesting. And what about photography? Because this is primarily a photography exhibition. So what does that medium offer um, to this, these, these ideas? You know, photography has this great capacity to reflect the world around us. It doesn't reflect a truth. Truthfulness is never... You know, photography is, has always grappled with that as a kind of truth-bearing agent, a medium, but it has a certain agency. It allows the sitter, you know, and by and large, the photographs in the show are photographs that have been staged, kind of taken in that sort of portraiture, it's been taken in the studio, it's been constructed, mm-hmm. it's been performed, and so there is this ability, you know, but it's, it's about reflecting the, the, the external world, what's happening. It's able to kind of hook and anchor itself onto kind of social movements, kind of seismic shifts that are happening, so it's able to kind of document, express, chronicle how men are being kind of um, representing themselves. It also has the capacity to tell stories in a way that a painting doesn't when it's kind of within the singular kind of moment of the canvas. You know, photographs operate very often across kind of multiple images. They kind of convey narrative and story. And so that's an important, I think, ability of photography, kind of its multiplicity that it enhances itself. But also there's a sense, if we look at the work of Mariana Wex and Wolfgang Tillmans, this idea, the power of photography, you know, photography is very much the way which we encounter the world first. We don't encounter it necessarily through painting or installation or sculpture, but it's very often through photography. It circulates widely, as we all know, both historically in the printed press and also now within the kind of digital media and so it's it's and and so there are many things going on within photography um that i think gives it a unique capacity absolutely fantastic and and what do you hope i mean we've talked a little bit about this but as i said you know we're in 2020 these ideas are surfacing um quite frequently but we talk about masculinity femininity um, gender identities what do you hope your audience will take away from visiting this exhibition my aspiration or the intention is really, um, you know, very um, 
rudimentally to, to open up a discussion, to open mm. up, spark a debate. Let's have a conversation about this. Um, let's begin to break those down. So that really on a kind of base level is what, you know, it's also an exhibition of a, a visual art. When we're in a gallery. I want it to be kind of, it's about retinal pleasure. I want people to enjoy those very beautiful photographs mm. of the male body, whether it's aging or it's, it's uh, young. It's about desire. It's about being desirable. It's, um, it's about complicating. It's mm. about kind of, you know, kind of um, bringing kind of, uh, looking at the complexities and the contradictions of all of that, but uh, but ultimately it's about harnessing and thinking through the complexities of any gender, any identity, and just to kind yeah, to prise that open a little bit. Yeah, fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Alana, for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and good luck with the exhibition. It's going to be a hit. I know it. Oh, I'm very <laughs> pleased to hear you say that. Music to my ears, and thank you for your questions, and thank lovely you. to talk to you. Thank you very much. And my next interview is with photographer Sam Contis, whose series of photographs Deep Springs explores the traditional idea of the American cowboy and how masculinity is perceived in this context. I'm here with Sam Contis and your piece Deep Springs, your series of work is here at the Barbican. So firstly, congratulations on an, an, an incredible, you know, this exhibition's wonderful. Your series of work is fantastic. Um, can you talk me through in your own words the meaning behind this series of, of photography? Yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled right now to be able to show the work here at the Barbican. It's the first time that it's being shown yeah. in the UK. Oh, so um, I didn't know that. Yeah, Fantastic. and so I had a, the book launch here a few years ago, but mm-hmm. this is the first time that work is hung on the gallery wall, so I couldn't imagine sort of better company or a better spot um, to see it. Oh, and um, the work was made in the Deep Springs Valley of California, which is at the time where one of the last remaining all-male colleges in the United States was set. And the college is now co-ed. Just in the last couple years, it went co-ed. So it really, I spent five years um, in this place sort of documenting it at the end of an era, yeah, truly. Yeah, that's interesting <laughs> truly as well. The end and of now an era. it's sort of lost in time, that whole uh, era. It is, it's it is. But I think the thing that was interesting to me and the reason I was drawn to this place was, um, you know, I was drawn to making work in the American West, in this place that really had an incredible mythology to it. I was interested in examining the iconography of the American cowboy mm. um, and thinking about its place in our visual culture and in our visual histories mm. and thinking about tradition both photographically and culturally mm. um, and deep, the Deep Springs Valley where this college um, is still um, but when it was all male I was thinking about making work within a certain tradition but also pushing back against that so in this of all-male environment mm. and what it meant to make work there as a woman um, mm. too against this history that, that has been largely populated by a certain kind of masculinity and by also you know a lot of male photographers absolutely and obviously you know this is a photography exhibition the, the medium of photography is, is an interesting one as well uh, for, for many reasons but why were you drawn to this as a medium and what do you think that it exposes about your subject matter that medium well, I think photography felt photography felt like the natural way to explore this sort of this conceptual idea I had of relating to to how we've come to understand visually um, our place in the West and identity um, because so much of our identity and thinking about the American West has come through 
visual imagery. So from the sure. history of photography, you know that photography and um, and you know the the West as as we now know it, um, this sort of American West, um, really came into being around the same time. So photography was invented at the same time there was this mm. sort of new migration westward mm. um, and that photography was really used as a way of sort of selling this this idea of a place mm. to people to get them to move west and yeah, so sure. photography has and has been part of this conversation about how do we reinvent ourselves about, about identity since the very beginning mm. and go west you know reinvent yourself mm. sort of rediscover yeah, um, yeah. yourself and and you know, sort of claim your place in this landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, that has always been an interesting part of the conversation, I think, um, and its relationship to photography. And so, I wanted to work within that history. Um, and so, photography felt natural. So, you know, we the Marlboro Man, sort of the image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it came from painting too, but photography and advertising, um, journalism. You know, that mm-hmm. there's so much tied to. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this sort of imagery, yeah. this sort of photographic imagery. I mean, it's also come through film, and so there is, I think, a sort of cinematic presence to the images. Absolutely. And that, yeah, I was going to say that 100%. There really is, yeah, there is too. Exactly, and so that's important for me too, that the images are always seen as a group, that there isn't a sort of singular representational mm. image, hopefully, mm. um, that the images, their meaning comes from how they work together, so that there is this fluidity and sort of flow um, in especially, um, it's a beautiful installation here um, that Alana Pardo, the curator of the show, yeah. um, worked on, and I really let her sort of <laughs> take charge that of house, it. That always helps. Especially when you so, trust someone as well with yeah, your work. No, you know, I like, trust her. I trust yeah, her completely, absolutely. and I think she did a beautiful job. And I think yeah. it, it's it's the first time sort of seeing my work um, actually hung in this way. And mm-hmm. um, you know, she had seen uh, several other installations, and I think built on that in a really fantastic way. Mm. I was going to say, the, you know, this iconic image of, of the cowboy is, is very prevalent in even the UK. Like, we romanticise that image. What do you think the, the relevance is of sort of deconstructing that in 2020? I think it's yeah, important I that we think, talk about the right, context. Right, I mean. that there is this romanticisation. And so, I, of course, I wanted to touch on that in some of the images, too. But I also wanted there to be, you know, in some of the images, there's a real violence. You can see, you know, there's blood on the sheet. There is this mm. sort of transformation of bodies. And I think being in this landscape especially so the Deep Spring Valley where this college is set um, it's very isolated Um, it's a very tight-knit community Um, and I saw spending time there over the course of five years that there were many different ways being explored of sort of existing Mm. in this landscape particularly as a man Mm. Um, what does it mean to be a man in the west in the 21st century that was Mm. a question that I think both myself and the young men that I was working with we were really trying to explore what does it mean for us to sort of exist together in this landscape and what does it mean for me as a woman to be making these pictures Mm. Um, and I think I saw real expansiveness just in terms of um, how people were seeing themselves, how they wanted to be looked at, um, and real inclusivity. Um, And I think that was an important thing to show that they are grappling with sort of history, but then also trying to push back against that history and make more space um, in it for themselves. And so I feel like in a way that that through them I was also making space for myself in this landscape. Yeah, yeah. um, That the bodies, um, you know, there's 
Yeah, I'm not sure quite how to no, say. No, no, <laughs> I, I think you've said that beautifully. Yeah. Um, absolutely agree with you. I think that's so interesting. It, it's you know, it's an environment that I don't know myself, um, I, and I wish I did have the chance to have visited. It sounds like, like an interesting kind of microcosm of, of some sort of life that used to be, or maybe never did. I don't know. Um, but my final question, um, I'm sure yeah. you have to go soon. But is um, what do you hope? I mean, this is your first. Uh, you said the first time the work's been on display in London. Yeah. What do you hope that the the audience will kind of take from seeing your work here and I mean it's just it's just really nice to sort of be in conversation with with the community here in London arts community general public um, as you can see it's a lovely sort of space to be in conversation there's Collier Shore's work there's Isaac Julian's work yeah. there's Wolfgang Tillman's here um, there's here. right the opiates around the corner yeah. um, and so you know it's it's an incredible community for you know, that I'm very excited for my work to be seen within. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's just nice. I think so many people perhaps have seen the work through the book um, or on, through a screen. And so, you know, there's nothing like getting to stand in front of prints. I mean, and the same goes for me. It's really nice to be here in the yeah. space and get to see work that I've long admired but in person for the first time. Amazing. Sam, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That is all we've got time for this afternoon. Thank you so much for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. To contact the show, please visit Anna Gammons Art on Instagram where you can DM me and there will be sneaky peeks into what's coming up on each week's show. I'm trying to look into getting some new material for this isolation situation we are in. Uh, So I'll let you know what's coming up on the show. But I will see you next week at 3.30 on Resonance 104.4 FM. 